How is everybody doing? And welcome back for another Strength Chat episode. Today, I have got a very special guest for you all. I went to a seminar a couple of weeks ago to see this guy, which was absolutely awesome. Today, I'm joined by a true legend in the world of strength sports, a two-time powerlifting world champion, a three-time world's strongest man. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Bill Kazmaier. How are you doing? Fantastic, Stephen. Thanks so much for giving me the honor to have a chat with you and be able to speak to your audience. How big is it, by the way? Um, so uh, uh, hopefully hopefully, quite a lot, especially for this episode. So I get a, a thousand downloads um, over the over the course of a month. So um, I'm sure a lot of people will be tuning in to, to listen to this one. Fantastic. Um, so how are you, Bill? What's been happening in, in your world recently? <clears throat> well, I'm doing really good. Um, you know, I was here in England for five months and around about uh, early December, I went to Hawaii for six weeks. And I just came back first part of January. Now we're going to have Giants Live on the 28th, uh, the British Championships, which is quite exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll be there uh, as a color commentator with Neil Pickup. And uh, right next to the action, having a, a really nice time. A couple of days later, I'll fly to the Philippines. And stay there for um, oh a couple of weeks, three weeks. Then I'll go to Florida for a Roanoke Games. Uh, Berserker strength, really kind of crazy cool. Hundreds of athletes in Miami. Uh, I'll do some speaking while I'm down in Florida. And then I'm back to the Philippines. And then I come over here for April 1. So there's a synopsis of my first quarter. Uh, things are really great. I'm traveling a lot. I'm living the dream. I'm so happy to be around the athletes and to be able to critique and uh, oftentimes contribute and pal around with the top guys. And it's, it's pretty much fun when you're nearly 70 years old and you get to hang out with guys that are 25. <laughs> oh, cool. And do you have, um, do you have any more seminars coming over? Because like I say, I mentioned the seminar that was, that was in Leeds a couple of weeks ago. I really, really enjoyed that. Have you got any, any more uh, uh, seminars coming up or is it mainly the, the competitions that you're, that you're going to? Well, for sure, there's a half a dozen competitions for Giants Live, and I will definitely make all of those. Uh, the one in Royal Albert Hall in July is just going to be fabulous. Some of the people that worked in the Royal Albert Hall I talked to us after the event, and they said of the 20 years they were there, they'd never heard such a noise come out of the arena when Iron BB took the axle for the world record. It was just, whoom, <laughs> incredible. And so that's a great experience. Uh, I'm trying, have, have been looking for opportunities to teach young people. My favorite are the guys that are just beginning that are moldable, malleable, pliable, interested, and ready and willing to listen to somebody who has literally 40, 50 years of experience. Uh, so seminars are, are, are coming up. I don't have any to advertise now. There has been interest. And so basically, when I come back to England, I stay for a couple of weeks. Of course, a Saturday night for Giants Live. Maybe the weekend before or the weekend after, I might do a couple of seminars. And uh, I really do enjoy sharing my ideas, my understandings, interpretations, and talents. Uh, and, of course, experience from all my competitions and the years of training. So uh, seminars are fun. And it's it's kind of an interesting aspect, you might think. If somebody knows something, you know, and they keep it inside between their own ears, 
what have they really done to impact and change the world? I think of knowledge and experience uh, with an analogy that includes two different things. One of money and a lot of it, and one of a big pile of, of horse manure, a pile of shit. <laughs> well, knowledge and experience is about the same as those two. Because if you think about money, if you spread it around, everything grows. And uh, a lot of things and people prosper. Same thing with manure, spread through a field uh, over, over vegetables or anything to grow. It really helps humanity. So I think similarly, uh, knowledge is something that should be shared. And I know a lot of guys that have great experience uh, keep to themselves. And guys of my era, uh, I, I don't ever see Jamie Reeves, uh, Jeff Capes, Mark Higgins, Hilti Arneson, uh, Joe Quigley. Gosh, the list would, uh, of strongmen would go on and on. Some of those guys are, are not here anymore. John Paul left us early, uh, as did O.D. Wilson and uh, Anthony Clark and quite a few others. So happy to be here six feet over instead of six feet under. <laughs> uh, yesterday, I bought a bouquet of roses for the ladies in the beauty shop where I live up in an apartment above them. And they were so happy. And I'd much rather stare at roses above rather than the roots below. Happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. And, you know, I think that was because um, I know I took quite a lot away from that. Again, you know, going back to the, the, the seminar that, that we that we attended and um, that's that's part of the reason or one of the main drivers and reason why I set up this podcast, because I didn't feel as though I could um, offer a, a good enough answer to questions that people were, were asking me. So I thought I would go out and find people with more experience and knowledge to share that one for my own learning, but also, you know, so other people can can, can learn and, and gain that knowledge from there to, to help them. Um, I did a I did a little bit of a, a brief introduction, and you know a lot of a lot of listeners are people who want to get involved in in strength sports. And for anyone listening who might not you know know of the, your achievements, how you got involved in in strength sports, just want to give a bit of a background to yourself, Bill. Oh sure, you know I, I tried to do that at the seminar, and each and every one of them, uh, it's kind of difficult sometimes when I'm in speaking environments. I've spoken 10 different locations in one day. I actually have records of 15 speaking engagements, uh, schools and YMCAs in, in 30 hours, 18 different times in Indianapolis, Indiana in 32 hours. And in Seattle, Washington, I flapped my jaw 27 times in three days. <laughs> so why do I do something like that? I think you deduced from the seminar, from my ex explanation of my history of my life, that I started it with a rough childhood and things were not so easy. So to be able to combat the negativity that came from my household and my environment growing up, at 10 years old, I was able to escape and uh, travel down a path then of being lost, literally living in an apartment where my, my mother was really never there. She was always working or doing something. So I really didn't have much parental guidance growing up. And uh, luckily, I found a few people who became mentors, friends uh, that taught me how to lift. As a matter of fact, sneaking into the YMCA, I know you like that story. <laughs> I snuck in the back door for a few days and I was taught five different things. 
how to squat, deadlift, bench press, add them up for a total. And I did pretty good in this squad. I think I ended up with a, well, I was doing 400 for tens uh, within just a few weeks and uh, pounds, of course, and then moved up to over 900, a 900 triple in the gym and a 930. Off that triple, I was really good for a, the world record 968, but I torn something in my hip and we were treating it at the doctor's for literally six weeks uh, before the competition. So I, I called it on my second attempt at nine and a quarter <clears throat> and then went on into the bench press where I set world record at 661 with a torn pec <laughs> because in the gym two weeks before I strained my pec at 633 pounds for three. The next week was supposed to be 655 for two. And I'm good for about 35 pounds off of a double, which should have put me at about 690, maybe an outside chance of 700. But with a torn pec, what do you do? <laughs> you had a strained hip, torn pec. Um, I was as careful as I could be, and I set the world record at 300 kilos. That day, I deadlifted 848 for the total record, 1,100 kilos. Uh, my powerlifting career moved forward rapidly when I started after attending college and trying to play uh, football, things didn't work out well for me. So the YMCA really did help out a lot. And uh, they they led me uh, towards becoming state champion, national champion, world champion. And then I drifted over to World's Strongest Men. And I did okay there too. <laughs> it's a little bit of history. I don't know. I think Wikipedia has got a few things wrong, mistakes, but you can look stuff up there. There's a variety of different videos on me, not only speaking, but competing and uh and even commentating for 20 years at espn and, and a lot i did uh yeah the, the color commentating for world's strongest men so uh it was an active life lifestyle and uh, i'm happy to be where i am today um uh, maybe more specific questions and i'll i'll fill things in i don't know i could talk i have talked in front of groups of 100 to 1000 for five hours straight. <laughs> so um, I guess I know a little bit about me and uh, some things I share, some things I don't have that much of a private life. I would want to say I keep a few things private. Uh, two divorces are things I really don't care to think about or talk about, but uh, I moved on and so did they. And, and now here I am 70 and single. Not yeah. a bad way to be when you're headed to the Philippines. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, thank, thanks for that, Bill. And the one thing, because obviously, you know, I know I obviously mentioned there about about you growing up there, and you mentioned, you know, um, the the influences that, that that you had, who were or what was your biggest influences, but then also, you know, what what did you find the biggest challenges as you were starting out and training and you know building towards powerlifting and strongman? Yeah, influences. You know, there at the YMCA, I had a wonderful man named Bob Lowry, who's no longer with us. He really be kind of, he became a mentor. He, although I was working in two different bars at the time, uh, he taught me a great deal. There was a man named Bubba Morgan at Madison, Wisconsin, who did a 565 bench, a 765 squat, and an 805 deadlift for the American record back in those middle 70s. And I learned a lot from him. And then, of course, I moved on. Uh, when I, I left Madison and went to California, while I was there, I met guys like Marvin Phillips, uh, Dave Shaw, and one man especially stood out as a, a mentor and a coach, uh, a training partner, Terry McCormick, who was state and national champion and world champion at 242. 
So uh, he exchanged a lot of, of information and motivation in the workouts, encouraging and loading the weights and, and just helping with technique and, and many different things. So uh, there have been mentors along the way. Uh, Tony Fitton from uh, UK. Uh, not sure where he's hanging out now, but uh, I'm looking out in the street. I don't see him. <laughs> Tony Fitton coached and, and helped. It was just amazing and remarkable when I was at Auburn University uh, and, and lifting. Not only did he come into every workout, he helped to design those. He helped to motivate, inspire, and establish consistency. So Tony Fitton, if you're out there, uh, you were one hell of a guy, and I would love to run into you here in England. Haven't seen you for years and years. Another contributor was Terry Todd, who had the Strength Research Center at Auburn University. He also influenced and aided me and uh, got me a job at Diversified Products, uh, a barbell company there in, in Opelika, Alabama, and uh, fed me and housed me. And so I've had some people that have really reached out. My dad was probably pretty mean uh, by most uh, comparisons. But some of the men in my life were really uh, brotherly, fatherly, mentor types. And, uh, you know, at that YMCA, they taught me something that really, uh, really kind of helped. As I said, squat, deadlift, bench press, total. The one thing they taught me that really helped most was to meet and talk with and have a relationship with my heavenly father. And through the power of prayer, that's the fifth thing that they taught me. How to put my hands together, my head down, humble myself. And say, Lord, help me in my life. I'm struggling, and I I will follow you. Uh, please give me a give me a lead and, and show me the directions and tell me what you want me to do. And I think this is kind of uh, my destiny because I said, when you make me the best, I'll be humble. I'll share my talents with others. One day you can speak through me, and I'll work for you. Well, I didn't have to pay him back for for his son dying on the cross, but. Uh, because the blood of the lamb has already been shed and my sins have been forgiven. So paying back and, and going to, to 32 speaking locations in three days, is really not necessary and wasn't expected, but it was a fulfilling a promise that I said I would do uh, for such great help along the way. Don't let me leave out the story of the three chairs. Uh, so the obstacles that I overcame along the way, as you had asked, were, uh, oh, I mean, simple things. The size of my hand, the beefiness of my hand. You know, as you squeeze a bar in your hand, because of the big meat and the thickness, the bar gets squeezed out of the center of the hand towards the fingertips. And if you have a hand like Mark Henry or, or Mark Felix, uh, you know, it's it's about that much longer so that's a bit of an obstacle uh being a high school footballer weighing 222 pounds just over 100 kilos i cut down in body weight to wrestle i lost 37 pounds my senior year nearly 30 pounds my junior year i stunted my own growth i still then worked up to a overall body weight top of about 335 pounds. Maybe I touched 340 and that would have been ALBD. For those of you who know the jargon, that's after lunch and before a dump, <laughs> maxed out at 340 pounds. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, my height, 6'2", 
the urban guy's a whole lot shorter than a much better mechanical advantage. Then, in some events in strongmen, there are guys that are six six and more. Uh, so, I guess I've average height, uh, maybe a mesomorph build. Uh, the obstacles that I overcame were, think of this, Stephen, trying to make the task at hand infinitely the most important thing in your whole existence, the next set, the next rep, the next workout, at a level of efficiency, proficiency, with consistency, that it's truly an extremely difficult thing to be able to go in and literally pulverize and punish your body day after day after day, 365, very few breaks, only when you get injured or, or, or hurt or, or something happens where you can't make it to the workout. So those are a couple of the obstacles, uh, the financial burden of training and, and then trying to work and uh, support a home. All those things are, are things that each and every one of us has to juggle in order to be a cosmonaut and to be extremely strong. So I hope that answers your two questions. We can go on and on in specifics. Depends on how much homework you did, <laughs> what you know, Kaz, and what you want to try to extract as far as my experiences and maybe some of my wisdom for your listeners. Yeah, definitely. And and thanks for uh, th- thanks for touching on that. I think that was a that was a really good answer. And the um, you mentioned about your um, your uh, mentors, the 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 people that you trained with as well. And one thing, um, you know, the conceive, believe, a, a, achieve the mindset side of things was uh, something that I really took away from the from, from the seminar. And I wanted to touch on: um, Do you think it was a it was a combination of sort of the training environments, but as well the the strength of mindset that you had from you know your uh, uh, fr- from growing up that made you you know put in those hours and you know do the things that you did in term in terms of strength if that kind of makes sense oh yeah so i guess i see the question is was it my environment and the people that I hung around i always trained with the best that i possibly could with champions winners people who were conquerors and overcomers who had a positive attitude all the time uh <clears throat> so surely once i got to that place you know i was always searching with a troubled past for an island in a rough sea, an oasis in a dry desert, a place of refuge uh, where I might find peace and I might find comfort and I might find brotherhood. And those things, though, often are found in a gym. And uh, luckily, I was able to sneak into that gym in the YMCA and get my start. Although, you know, I snuck in a gym when I was 10 years old. And so when you say, well, hardships, hardships were uh, were plentiful at that time. I had just won the track meet in the, the, I won the 400, I won the 100, and in the 50 meter, two kids that had failed twice, so they were like 12 or 13, uh, were able to just barely beat me in the 50. I was the biggest, strongest, fastest kid uh, my whole life. And I don't know, probably because I was in the fields and in gravel pits and uh, climbing trees and, and really active as a youth, riding a one-speed bicycle uh, with developing a lot of fast-twitch muscle fiber. 
so that environmental uh, upbringing and, and the hardships uh, contributed. When I snuck into that gym, it was actually Mr. Nas lifting his weights. He had just came out of college. Maybe he was 24 or five years old. He was an unbelievable athlete. He looked like a shredded frog. He could do amazing things in sports. One especially particular was playing softball. And as Mr. Nas on a Friday night stepped up to slow pitch, I stood behind the cage and people were ready for him and cheering because he was probably going to knock it out of the park, which pitch whack. As I stood in the outfield, I mean, right there in the dugout, I thought the bat was going to be shattered or the cover was going to be ripped off the ball. As the ball went through the air and I'm in the outfield, I hear, I hear the ball shredding the fabric of the universe. It just went as it flew up over my head and sailed up into the stars in the night and out of sight. Uh, this man was so strong and so powerful that I heard him in the girls' locker room lifting his weights. And he had a barbell, and that was about it. He allowed me to come in and watch him, but he told me to be quiet. Now, I'm the kind of guy who had ADD, and before it was diagnosed as that, I couldn't sit still. I was always uh, fidgeting and uh, just couldn't shut my mouth, I guess. Uh, kind of crazy times at 10 years old. Well, that night he was going to lift his body weight overhead in a military press. I didn't know what it was called. I'd never seen a barbell before. He took the bar and he loaded it with 150 pounds and he pressed it overhead to arm's length and then set it back down. He then jumped to 175 and he had told me, I'm going to lift my body weight tonight. That's my plan, my workout. After 175, he went 185, then 190. He weighed 195 and he missed uh, the 190. So he was frustrated. He didn't do any upright rows, any front raises, any tricep French presses, any side raises. He did nothing other than just military press. I didn't know those exercises at the time. Uh, maybe he didn't either. But as he started to put his weights away and broke the bar down, he was sliding the weights under the lockers and uh, stuffing things away. And I said, wait, can I try my weight? And he said, okay, Bill, how much do you weigh? He wasn't very nice about it. He was really put off and pissed off. And uh, it got worse. I said, I weigh 110, uh, 50 kilos, and he left that on the bar. I bent down without any instruction, took a hold of the bar, cleaned it to my shoulders, and pressed it over my head. Once. I could have done it five times. It felt like I was lifting a pillow. I couldn't understand why it was so difficult for him to lift his body weight. I set the bar back down, and then I waited. And I waited. And I thought he might give me a pat on the back, or he might say, Bill, good job, you know. You're 10 years old, fifth grade, you're not in my segment in class. There were five different segments, teachers. I wished I would have because I thought maybe he could, you know, teach me how to spell, teach me how to read and write, maybe a little bit of mathematics. No. The words out of his mouth rang in my ears those 27 times in schools when I speak. He said, Bill, now you got to leave and don't come back. Oh, all I ever heard from my dad was your horse shit now, your horse shit tomorrow, and you'll always be horse shit. And uh, so this guy wasn't any better. And uh, those hardships meant that I had to 
climb out of that pit. Uh, eh, maybe I had a little bit of help. Because let's go fast forward when I walked out of the YMCA and I read down in the Bible. Uh, and what it said in Psalms was, I waited patiently, O Lord, for you to hear my cries. You reached down and pulled me out of a miry pit. You put my feet onto a rock. You established my goings. You put a new song onto my heart and even praise unto the Lord. Many will see and will fear and will trust in the Lord. Well, he pulled me out of that pit. He gave me a direction in my life. He kept me from many problems. I was chased in a, down a, a road by a crazy, crazy man when I was delivering newspapers. And he chased me out into the highway. A car hit me that was going 60 miles an hour. The lady across the street who got a newspaper before him said his body flew eight meters in the air. And 50 meters down the road, the black marks stopped. And this old car back from the 60s uh, stood there smoking and dented. I landed on the hood 50 meters down the road. I didn't have any broken bones. I missed two days of school. Nobody ever knew this happened. The guy was never prosecuted for, for chasing me like he did. Uh, a battery type charge. Uh, I seem to be able to walk away from that. And I was protected many times from some serious injuries. Uh, environment has a lot to do with what's with, uh, with I think our desire and our need and that upbringing has a lot of influence. So I understand you're trying to make a comparison between uh, environment and maybe uh, uh, mentors and people helping you. There's also uh, physical attributes. I think we were talking about a little bit here too. So maybe it comes down to environment or genetics. And given that my dad was about five foot eight, my mom was about five foot one. I don't know how I ended up six foot two, <laughs> but there was a milkman who was six four. So <laughs> you just, I'm not really saying that. I'm just kind of making a joke. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, genetics have a, have a great deal to do with, uh, with how we uh, how we react, interact, and and how we progress in sport, you know, I never would have dreamt. If any of your listeners have seen the movie Everest, I like to talk about the movie because of the great uh, perils in the ascent and the preparation for climbing that mountain. I was able to climb my mountain, Mount Everest, and uh, when I came back down, I had two mountains to to show for it. Some call them traps. I called them Mount Fuji and Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> but uh, while I was at the top of that mountain, I put my flag in. There was no ladder there. It was as high as you could possibly go. It's a high peak. Uh, so couldn't go any higher than that. Stuck my flag in, and then I looked through the valley. Never did I realize 40-some years ago that this giant would walk through the valley who was six foot nine and 450 pounds. He came from Iceland. And maybe he walked over the glaciers and, and across the vast uh, frozen oceans. His name was Hafthor Bjornsson. So you just can't imagine somebody like that 40, 50 years ago. A guy like Eddie Hall, uh, even an O.D. Wilson, six foot six and 450 pounds. O.D. squatted 1,000 and uh, deadlifted 900. He bench pressed about uh, 565, was not quite so strong up on top. But imagine me going in against him in a truck pull. 
And for that truck pull in Iceland and the strongest man competition, John Paul wouldn't compete. Why? Because it wasn't his referees. It wasn't <laughs> his events. And it wasn't his promoters. If that tells you just a little bit about what was going on back in that era. Uh, the, the night before the competition, there was a seminar. O.D. Wilson and I both spoke. I was smart enough to go last. <laughs> As O.D. Smoke, spoke, he blew smoke and mirrors and talked about what it was going to be like to be the world's strongest man someday. Yeah, well, that laid it, that, that laid the, uh, the meat and the fruit and ice cream right in front of me because I said, this is what it's like to be the world's strongest man three times. <laughs> and as we finished the seminar, O.D. was so freaking mad. He, he got out of the van. Of course, he took the front seat, big bastard. <laughs> uh, he didn't even give the royalty the front seat. And we got back to the hotel and we go through the front door of a foyer in a huge building. And the ceilings are maybe 25 feet tall. It's an amazing hotel. OD stormed across the foyer, started up the stairs, and looked back and said, Kazmaier, you shouldn't have said it. And he's breathing. <sighs> you always got to be the best. I said, OD, tomorrow's your chance, baby. Didn't hear an opportunity. If you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. Well, long story short, as I was shellacking the group, and although it was a team competition, it was an individual also, uh, <clears throat> OD grabbed the microphone from the, from the MC, and he started to apologize for disrespecting me the night before. And no one knew what the hell he was talking about. It was kind of between him and I. And uh, but so that that was the strongest guy of my era, being that big and that strong. I don't think half or no, he didn't come anywhere near a thousand pound squat, uh, a nine hundred deadlift in competition without straps. I don't think either of those guys, Eddie or or um, half Thor, have done that. Uh, Od Wilson was truly probably the strongest man who never won world's strongest man. Uh, Rico Kiri might've been right up there, but uh, you know, he maybe genetically wasn't gifted with enough body weight and uh, God knows about his training and his, his environment. But anyway, bouncing around a little, I hope that kind of gives you a good idea of the way Kaz thinks about things. I would hope that your listeners would realize that although I've set a number of world records, one world championships in powerlifting and strongest man. I'm still just flesh and blood and Kaz. The thing that when I talk about workouts, I think you remember the bench press workout. I'll let you recite it uh, in a second. That when I talk about the weights I lifted and the time that I did it, people want to compare the 80s with the 90s and 2000, 210, 220. That's impossible. Uh, like I said, God only knew of half Fleur Bjornsson or Brian Shaw walking through the mountain, uh, through the valley, as I stood on top of Mount Everest. And uh, Brian Shaw, six foot eight, 450 pounds. He's colossal. <laughs> and I was supposed to be big and huge. He's mammoth. He's a woolly tooth. <laughs> so, I was actually lucky enough to um uh, I went to a seminar and 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 so met met Brian Shaw as well and um 
yeah, I, I looked like his little son. Um, he's a he's a he's a he's a lot he's a lot taller lot taller than me. Um, but yeah, yeah I think that was um what, what he said there, especially with the uh, the other competitions. On a little bit of a tangent, do you have you know from all the competitions that you went to, the world's strongest man, all the other events that you that you did, um, you know, up in Iceland and the 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 Highland Games. What um what was your sort of favorite? What was your favorite competition? What did what did you enjoy the most? Because you can see that you enjoy it. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll just say the team strongest man uh, in England. I did the first one with uh, Stuart Murray, and we won. He didn't know what to do. I, I tried to teach him all the way through, and uh, I guess that between the two of us, he was a beginner. I was a, a pretty advanced. And we won. Then OD and I went and we won. But then we went back and we had a little mishaps in the barrel and and uh, straw bale carry where it was at Sterling Castle. And uh, earlier that day, a 21 year old bodybuilding strongman specimen, Tom Hawks, died as the tester. That's a very, uh, it's not a well known fact. So it set the mood of the whole competition. And I said to Jeff Capes, who was the commissioner of power head referee, I said, you know, when we were carrying these barrels and, and bales uh, through the castle, that uh, that hallway is kind of small. And, you know, Jeff, there just may be a little bit of contact in that hallway. And he said, eh, a little bit of contact's okay, Kaz. I go, okay. Well, you know, there may be a little bit more than a little bit of contact. And he said, hey, anything goes. <laughs> well, you don't tell Kaz that anything <laughs> goes. When OD comes around the corner and throws his barrel over the wall because he was too lazy to run up the hill with it. And then he went bent down the stairs to look for it. Well, it had rolled about 20 feet away from where he dropped it. And he was nowhere near the bottom of that ledge when Healthy Arneson came around with his barrel and I blocked him. I just blocked him. So he took it upon himself and made the, the conscious decision to throw his barrel over the wall and act like it was my fault. And supposedly it hit O.D. Wilson in the head. Well, if you would have saw his cranium, it was crushed. His clavicle was broken and sticking through the skin. His shoulder was dislocated. He tore all four rotator cuffs. He tore his infraspinatus, his supraspinatus, his subscapularis, and his teres minor. It was awful. He was taken out on a stretcher. He died shortly. No, wait a minute. That's not the right competition. He didn't have a scratch on him, but he was almost killed. It was nearly a fatality. Kaz tried to kill his partner. Oh, it's horrible. No, wait a minute. You got that confused. Tom Hawks was the guy who died two hours before as he was a he was doing the warm-ups. He was a, a an assistant, a tester. He died, not O.D. Wilson. Oh, I got it. We can make it look like Kaz was the killer, the grim reaper of his partner, and no one will talk about the guy who really did die, Tom Hawks. <laughs> so that was my favorite competition because even though they disqualified us and took, didn't give us last place, they gave us no points. 
we lost by about we lost by one point. We were that much better. OD was OD was so strong. We're doing a seven man scrum. Let's see, three, seven. A seven man scrum on a football field pitch. And he's on one end, I'm on the other. He outweighs me by a hundred pounds. He's really strong. I mean, we're, we're moving along, doing just great. We're going to win. No, I opened my big mouth. I said, come on, OD, push like hell. He pushed us right off the field. We took last place. He was a beginner. I tried to help him as much as I could in the events. I tried to take the toughest events and gave him the ones that he would be the best at. And maybe we're a little easier than the events that, that were presented for the two members of each team, Holland, England, Iceland, and USA. Uh, yeah, that was probably my favorite competition because it's got the most stories to go with it. <laughs> I had a lot of different competitions. Uh, and I really want to say the ones I enjoyed the most were the 20 that I was a commentator for. When I didn't know the guys' names, I could hardly pronounce uh, Ravens, Bergmanis, and some of these, uh, you know, Magnus Samuelson, and, and uh, I was I wasn't doing it when Magnus Ver he had retired by then, but so many different names, so many different guys, different countries, and there I am as a commentator trying to not only introduce the event, stand up, interview the athletes, introduce. Uh, Location, athletes, events, and the voiceover. That's impossible. <laughs> you can't be in the sound booth and on the field interviewing and explaining what the events are and standing in front of the building doing the stand-up. All four things don't go together. I did it for years. And then I was replaced by a female because she obviously knew much more than me about strongman. There you have it. <laughs> uh, I think that was a, a, couple, a couple. Sorry, go on. Getting a little bit off my chest here, aren't I? <laughs> no, there were a lot, a lot of good stories in there, and it, again, just kind of building off that, especially when you see um, the clips of you competing at World's Strongest Man, and when you said about the seven man scrum, there's the uh, the clip of you. Um, I don't know whether you would call it the, the sumo wrestling in the circle where you had to push the people out. And a lot of the, a lot of the events uh, are things that you might not necessarily be able to uh, train for, you know, bending the bar. Obviously, you t told the story at the seminar that you put the towels on your head to increase the, increase the lever to try and bend it through. But in terms of some of the events, how did you approach some of the events that you might not have been able to train for in the, in, in the gym? Yeah, so many and over so many years. But in those team competitions with OD on that pole push, the other guys didn't stand a chance. You got a 450-pound guy holding the base, and I'm absolutely berserk and just not giving a shit, turning my back to the other competitors, taking the rope that's tied through the, the, the log and just yanking it and shoving them out of the ring. I was merciless to these bastards. I did not give a shit. Uh, I was going to win. The reason my attitude was that way was because the referees were bent. The events favored the guys. They were told what they could do. Uh, our axes were dull. Theirs were sharp. <laughs> we, we had to carry our stuff in the mud. 
they had beautiful sand and and gravel. Maybe it wasn't quite that way, but I think you get my my drift. Uh, so, how do we approach the events when you don't really have an opportunity to train for them? It's easy. You go into the gym with a good attitude, a killer attitude, instinct, one with intent, where you are ready and willing to make every set and every rep the most important thing in your whole world. You've prepared yourself. You start to spin like a gyro, like a flywheel, and then bam! You hit every rep and every set as hard as you possibly can. You prepare your body head to toe to be as strong as you possibly can be, pressing overhead, pulling with the back, pushing with the chest, shoulders, squatting with the legs, deadlifting. Hell, when I tore both hamstrings in the squat in World's Strongest Man, I still came back and deadlifted 1,055 for their record that lasted for years. How the hell does somebody do that? The first squat was 870, and I tore one adductor hamstring. Because the rack was moving. It was like a smith. There were cement blocks above us. Uh, so what do you do after 870? And you, you you drop out, right? Nah. Just wrap it up. Go again at 950. And you tear the other one. Oh, shit. What do you do now? You got deadlift coming up. Well, you can't deadlift with no hamstrings. You want to bet? <laughs> All the keyboard warriors over the years who said, uh, Kazmaier doesn't know how to deadlift. He just—he doesn't even bend his knees, put his hips down, uses his legs. Man, what a fool. He could have been a lot stronger than that, but he did do 1,055. The last warm-up of 600 was murder. All I could do was stiff-legged. I couldn't even use my legs. It hurt so bad. <laughs> it hurt so bad. I went... 700, 800, 900, 925, 50, 75, 1,000, 1,025, That day with two good legs, I probably would have done a 1,300. Oops, I shouldn't <laughs> say that. That would make me stronger than the guys of today. Hmm, I better keep that quiet. You know, there was a guy called Dave Brown. He came into Strongman a few years after me. He trained for five years, and he came up to me one day, Stuart, and he said, Stephen, right? Yeah. And he, he says to me, Bill, uh, he's real shy and you know, he's kind of his heads down, he's muffling his voice. He goes, uh, I, I beat your record. I did 1,060. Uh, I said, so Dave, tell me how you did it. Did you take a 22 pistol and shoot yourself in this leg? And then another 22 and shoot yourself in that leg? And then pull 1,060? No, you didn't. So guess what? You're not stronger than me. Five pounds on two good legs? I'm not impressed. So I think you can kind of tell. One of the things we could touch on here is that the measure of a man is how you react on a bad day. I've had many bad days. And what did I do? When I walked onto the competition platform and I saw my title, world's strongest man, my trophy, nice big trophy, Big, strongest man trophy. Not many of them around. I got three of them. And my check. 20 grand. For a week's worth, I think I think it's well worth it to lay your body on the line. And uh, when I tore off the pectoral in the bar bend, there were four events left. My doc says, we got to go to the hospital. Maybe we can sew it back together. I go, phew, there's four events. 
See that title, that trophy, and that check? That's my shit. And I'm not leaving until I get it. So he treated me the best he could in the next four events. Yeah, I took sixth in the in the wrestling because hell, I, I got one arm ripped off. But in the caber, I lost by about this much and took like third place. In the squat, I just stuffed my arm back up under that rack and started to squat. It hurt so freaking bad. It hurt really bad. And as I'm up over 900 pounds, it really, really, really hurts bad. <laughs> but not as bad as it hurt me all week to hear the commentators say in the introduction before each of the events, and the men with the world's strongest legs, Dave Waddington. Fuck that. <laughs> that hurt. That hurt a lot. For them to assume that he had stronger legs than me, even with a mortal injury of deltoid, pectoral, and bicep torn on this side, I stuffed myself under that rack and beat Waddington and did an easy, an easy 970. <laughs> Measure for man is how you react on a bad day. So... That's some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it shows, it shows the intent that, you know, how do you do well in the events? You go in the gym and you train like a cosmonaut. You train much harder than you realize you can. You know, as you know, Stephen, a man, a, a measurement of work and work capacity by most individuals has parameters. Well, you know, if you, if you set limitations and you live by what you observe by other people's limitations, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> there are no limits, okay? Only what you set on yourself in your mind and how you let other people influence you. And when my dad told me I was horse shit, he was full of shit. <laughs> I became the best in the freaking world, period. So you don't let other people influence you in a negative way. There, I was looking at a documentary where it was the, I want to say Anderson, yeah, doesn't matter, from 100 years ago and more. He said, if you think something for 17 seconds, it becomes your reality. So if you think of a positive thought for a quarter of a minute, half of a minute, a couple minutes, just 15 seconds, and that thought sticks and becomes reality. If you dwell on a negative for that same amount of time, that's your reality. And for me, I started early in the morning. When I slid off the edge of the bed, my knees hit the ground, the floor, my head was on my hands, and I said, thank you for this day. I vow to make this day the best day of my life. As a matter of fact, every day, in every way, I want to become better and better. And I'm going to repeat that again, just so that your listeners will be able to use a mantra like that of the power of positive thinking. Thank you for this day. I vow to make this day the best day of my life. As a matter of fact, every day in every way, I want to become better and better. Huh. And then through the day, you just start walking around going, you see something big and heavy? I can, I will, I can, I will, I can, I will. You don't see anything big right now? Conceive, believe, and achieve. Dream about something big that you're going to live. Develop a plan to be able to do it. Believe in the plan. Believe in that goal. Believe in yourself. What does it take to achieve? Conceive, believe, and achieve? Eh, desire, 
determination, dedication, a program, due diligence, and a little bit of hard work. <laughs> you can do anything. That's the mantra. That's what worked for me. Carry it away, my friend. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I think that was that was the thing, you know, putting the putting the work in, having that, because I think that's a, a big thing that a lot of people can struggle with. And I know, you know, you mentioned there about, and you mentioned in the seminar as well, that that power of positivity thinking, yeah, do you know what, actually, and I know, you know, we've spoken about, or you can speak about people can be like um, have negative, which is thinking they're going to help their uh, help their uh, training. Whereas um, I, you, you told the story about um, you were squatting and you were like, no, I am going to be able to, as you were coming out the hole, you knew that you were going to be able to be able to do it. On the mindset side of things, did you uh, develop that strength of mindset over time or was it something that you felt was, that you had straight away from, you know, doing that first overhead press that that, that that you did? Obviously, any of the techniques of the mind over matter takes time. A lot of it for me was back when I was in my early 20s. I, I would often meditate. I became somewhat obsessed in college with developing the senses. Of course, we have taste, touch, sight, sound, and uh, maybe one other one, <laughs> whatever they are, five senses. I like the sixth sense. I started to dwell on psychic senses, precognition, clairvoyance, telepathy, telekinesis. I wanted to study those. They said, well, Bill, you got to have a degree in psychology first. I go, I do, huh? Screw that. Watch what I can do. So I put a toothpick on a glass of water and I closed my eyes and I started to think and see it swirling, going around and around and around. Then I opened my eyes to my dismay. The toothpick hadn't moved. <laughs> I tried again and again. Yuri Geller and some people who had amazing psychic abilities uh, were kind of like, my mentors and, and I was really interested in developing the, the powers of the mind, the motion picture of the mind, uh, pre-programming myself, seeing the future, being, uh, you know, cognitive and precognitive of just uh, making my reality uh, uh, and seeing it and, you know, making my thoughts become manifest uh, in my future so that I could actually do the things that I was thinking. And I believe that that's how it works. It took a while to develop that, but uh, people wonder what I was doing underneath the squat in World Strongest when you saw my eyes kind of cross and I had just sniffed a little bit of ammonia. I was truly in an altered state of consciousness. I was there, but I wasn't really there. Yeah. I was in a shipyard looking at a crane that picked up full containers off of a ship. I was a caterpillar, a bulldozer, a huge Tonka truck with 20 tons of, of material on the back of it. I was a machine. I thought like a machine. I lifted like a machine. I was a machine. And that's how... That's how my mind took all the thought processes 
from all the synapses came down to the cerebral cortex and went. I might scare somebody in the neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, But so there you are. A tornado, a hurricane, a cyclone, bam. And uh, if you want to be rigid in a squat or a deadlift, you can be rigid. The most amazing thing I've seen in years is Eddie Hall come out of the bottom of a deadlift. 500 kilos. Man, he was below with his hips. He used his legs and kept his hips down like nobody has ever done in deadlift. Most amazing thing I've ever seen. And uh, so, yeah, mind over matter, power of the mind, developing it, uh, looking for the resources and understanding, maybe checking some tapes, getting on YouTube, uh, listening to everybody from uh, speakers of of positive reinforcement and and public speakers of motivation and the ones who then are into frequency, uh, vibration, understanding that power of crystals actually work and uh, magnetism, electromagnetism, every cell in our body has its own charge we have so much power to be able to be alive takes thousands of volts. If you add up the cells, of your body, it's phenomenal. The kind of charge you have. I did something. Well, for seven years, I worked as a massage therapist. I did something called Reiki massage, which means I didn't touch that person. Their muscles would go. The power coming out of my hands with that intention of healing as I was a conduit and that energy came through me and into the person I was working on was phenomenal. And it's something that people don't talk about so much. People don't really understand unless you're in that area of expertise. And I go to conferences in places around the country and world that uh, they're holistic uh, medicine healers, people who are into unusual things and machines and, uh, I really believe in uh, electromagnetism. And I think that I was able cerebrally to create a field of energy around myself that when I took those hands and put them on an object, I was able to control that object and use my body like a machine to be able to lift those weights. When the guys at World's Strongest Man had 180 pound barrels, a dozen of them, and they had to, we had to load them on the back of a truck. Everybody, they all went before me because I won the last, I won most of the events. Uh, so as I watched them, they literally picked up, shouldered, and carried these barrels to the truck, to the platform. Time after time after time, I watched these guys struggle, and I went, wait a minute. That's not how you do it. How do you throw a punch from low the high. How do you throw a shot put? Hmm. How do you throw a discus? How do you throw a javelin? Leverage. I took the barrels and I sprayed sticky on my hands and sticky on the barrel. And I went, Phew. and my barrels were empty. <laughs> I thought they were empty. 
They felt like they were empty. They flew through the air with the greatest of ease. Maybe I carried the last one. I threw the other 11. And uh, the next five places in the competition, of course, I won. Everybody else was fighting for second place. The next five or six guys grouped within one second. I was eight seconds ahead of the group. <laughs> That's Kazmanat. <laughs> you know, I think I mentioned the other night, and, and this sounds egotistical, but it's really just kind of, it's funny. As I'm 70 years old, in my chair, rocking back and forth, sipping a little Glenfiddich and just having a nice mellow evening, I see Laz and, and Liz have a bit of a discussion with Jeff Capes and an interview and a, a podcast. And, and then I, I see another podcast of Laz's that says, of all the Englishmen who've competed in strongman for the last 50 years, Jeff Capes is number one. And as I rock, I smile and I realize I beat Jeff Capes by 27 and a half points. <laughs> that makes me smile. <laughs> Life is good as a cosmonaut, and it gets better every day in every way. Ah, cool. Yeah. I think that's um, especially from the feats of strength that you've that, that, that you've done. With the um, especially as a you know, now uh, you know, commentating um at the at the events. Is there any uh, the the mindset that you can see um, from other athletes, or what are kind of your your thoughts on 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 strongman as it is as it is now? Is every is there athletes that you see that are using that positivity and that same and, and that same mindset? Well, the one that kind of reminds me of myself, or don't let me flatter myself and say that I'm like him, he's like me, but Novikov is the kind of guy who's very well rehearsed in the event. In each event, as he's about to perform, he touches the event. He's the last one to get in a warm-up right before the event. And he usually wins the event. So it's his approach that I see myself in him. Uh, Adam Bishop is extremely powerful, explosive, as I did a seminar with him at his gym, his head just kept going like this. He agreed. And he's, except for mishaps and uh, going for the big 505 and there's his track to get there, he had a big setback, but he's coming back strong. He's a really pow powerful, excitable type who's just explosive. I love watching him compete. Graham Hicks is uh, the other day he saw a picture of me on uh, Instagram with my shirt off and some red uh, tights on. I didn't want to tell him that that was like late in my career. I had just torn my tricep off. I was totally out of shape, but I still was having fun competing with John Paul Singerson. He called me daddy <laughs> and, and he showed me a picture of him. Graham Hicks is so powerful and explosive with great endurance He's a little bit short, but he makes up for it with a big heart. And he's the kind of guy that when he's there, 
mentally and on point, he's brutal. But he, like each and every one of us, has his highs and his lows and his struggles. And with Hixie, if it ain't fun, he don't want to do it. Right. And sometimes it's not fun. And uh, so his career has been one that he stepped away for a while, waited to rekindle the fire, the burn, the furnace, the inferno of hard training every single day to bring it to the competition. It's uh, it's amazing to watch. Uh, my fire went out in 90 when I did 24 competitions and 30 seminars in 12 weeks. Give me a freaking break. I hardly had time to train or heal. And I was racing back and forth to the t-shirt factory to get a gross of t-shirts, muscle tops and fleeces to sell twice a week in between because with all those seminars, we're selling so much merchandise. Uh, So having the focus and, uh, and being able to dedicate, my fire went out and I said, O.D. Wilson, 1990, I beat you in Iceland. I won three other international competitions. I've done enough. I'm going home. My back hurts. And I said, it's your turn to go and win the title. And I could have kept competing the next couple of years for sure. And spanked Magnus Ver like, like I did the first time at, at the Sterling Castle, rubbing his face down the wall as we're carrying those bales of hay up, up through the castle walls. Uh, but instead... I saw what they did, and they'd done it to me in the car turnover uh, in Budapest where they chalked the near tire. (laughs) Guess what happens to the far tire on a hill? It rolls, as did my ankle. There was a stitch-up. That was first event. Stitch-up after stitch-up. When I saw what they did to OD in the hard carry bricks around a track, give me a break. The guy was seven points in the lead. He was the strongest man in the world. No, not if you're the promoters and the referees. You can figure out a way to screw them. And they did. And I just said, that's enough of that. Uh, But for Hixie to come back, as he does, uh, he looks in fantastic shape. And a couple of more days, we're going to have a blast watching him. Uh, Big shame, the guy that I really like is is, uh, Luke Richardson. You know, story be told, I might be bragging a little bit. I just, I'd like to think I had an influence. Luke came to a seminar years and years ago, and I really poured out. It was at Absolute Fitness with Darren Sadler, and Luke was just kind of going, Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to remember that. Well, he did. He listened and he followed, like, a cosmonaut would. And then he became champion powerlifter, national, international, and uh, unbelievable work ethics and training and explosivity. Tore a bicep off, got it repaired. Rehab back, looking great, going to come back and compete. Blows it off again, wasn't done right. You know, gets it fixed again. Now comes all the way through his rehab, He's in the best shape of his life. He said, that's enough training. I compete in two weeks, but I'll just do a a big back workout tonight. 
he blew a lat. He'd been doing so much cardio and was in such great shape. He was going to kill this competition and give Adam a run for his money, as well as Hixie. Mark Felix is always really strong. You got to love a guy that looks like he's in his 40s and he's almost he's almost 60 and competing. So the, there's a couple of new guys coming into the competition. Uh, but those are the guys that kind of come to the top of my mind. Uh, maybe you have a couple of favorites in there that are, are really explosive. But yeah, Novikov, uh, forgive me, Pavlo. I kill his name, Nova, Nova whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'll get it on the night that he's in the comp at Royal Albert Hall, and I'm sure I'll I'll stick his name. But Pavlo competed with Luke. They're both international champions in powerlifting, and Pavlo just keeps growing. He's huge <laughs> and and so explosive, powerful. You know, he's gonna he's gonna dominate strongman. I know that Luke uh, really has helped his brother Tom a lot, and that's a magical duo. But to hear Tom so loosely and almost jovially talk about the 505, ain't no way. He's too tall. He goes in and out of shape. He likes it too much. He's happy. You got to be hungry. You got to be mad. You got to be mean. You got to be crazy. <laughs> you got to be wild. You got to be focused, intense. Like a razor blade and cut through all the bullshit and train like a fucking warrior. Yeah. Or you could just have fun and have a bunch of contracts and travel the world and be the world's strongest man and, and be happy. And I'm happy for Tom. Yeah. But I don't know, 505? It'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, easier than, than Tom could. So prove me wrong. <laughs> Ah, cool. Yeah, I think um, uh, especially with you know Britain's strongest man coming up, it's always interesting to see how how everyone gets on because there's you know a lot of a lot of athletes coming through. Um, who have I missed? Who have I missed, Stephen? Who have I missed for the show that you might think is going to be a favorite? I don't know the new guys. Uh, you know Terry, what Terry Hollins? What an amazing career to go from four forty to three twenty and bodybuilding and and then coming back in strongman and and then just just saying, yeah, you tell me what he said. I didn't hear it, see it. All I hear is rumors is that if Terry is a bit like Hixie, if his head is into it and his mind is right, he's a fucking warrior. Yeah. And he just withdrew because he's, there's something inside of him that says, this is not the right time. It's not the right place. He wants to show his son one time how strong he really is and uh for one reason or another he's he's backed away so we've lost a couple guys in just the last week or so uh who am i missing that might be a favorite 
I, I'm I, I'm not sure. You, you've kind of listed some of the some of the ones who I like competing. You know, Graham Hicks and uh, and, and Adam and Adam Bishop um, uh, was was lucky enough to have uh, Adam Bishop on the uh, on on the podcast. And you know, a lot of things that he talks about and seeing him compete. You know, he's 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 always up there. Obviously, the Stoltman brothers. I always like watching them them lift as well. Um, Tom doing the doing the stones. He's always just picks them up like the pebbles. <laughs> About six hundred pounds, I think, isn't it? I the think so. One? Yeah. Well, I would really like to know what it feels like to be six foot seven, three hundred and fifty seventy five pounds, and have a bunch of glue. I think they call it tacky to slap around a stone and give it a good crank. Because when I did the stones, yeah, they were lighter. I'd never heard of them. I tried them once. Second time I did all five of them, nobody could do that. They wouldn't give me any tacky. They said, Bill, we don't have enough for you. So what did I do? Five stones. Everybody got to four and were really tired. They couldn't do number five. I went one, three, five, four, two. <laughs> and they said, Gizmeyer went out of order. I said, you're out of order. I'm the world's strongest man. I make the rules this time. There was nothing said about how you had to do them. You could go fifth first, third first. It didn't really matter. What matters is all five stones are on top of those barrels. And I did it. Ah, <laughs> ah cool. There was uh, quite a lot of quite a lot of stories in there, a couple of tangents in there as well. But I was really, really looking forward to having you on the having you on the podcast. The, the last question that I like to ask from everything that we've chatted about there and for everyone listening, what would be your take-home points or words of wisdom? Take-home points. That some of the most gratifying things in the world are not performed in the gym. When you can look a young person in the eyes and deliver a message of hope and inspiration and challenge them to dare to dream and shoot for the stars and sower the eagles and be the best they can be every day in every way and give them the tools like I can, I will and conceive, believe, and achieve and the power of positive thinking and know that you've gone, you remember the Highlander? The movie, the Highlander? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I was the Highlander at Huntley Castle, not John Paul Sigmerson. You deliver that message Go through their eyes, down their throat, and you put an imprint on their soul that changes their life indefinitely. That is one of the most powerful things that you can get from lifting weights. What was the rest of that question? <laughs> <laughs> Take home points and words of wisdom. I think you've hit it on there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a bit of a word of wisdom. You know, the, the take-home points. Again, uh, don't go in the gym unless you're ready. A couple times at the end of my career, I drove around the block, turned up the music, sat in the parking lot until I was ready. There were times I went in the gym and sat on a bench. Two minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes. And nothing happened. I didn't feel it. The Hixie phenomenon was kicking in. 
I went outside, spent the rest of the day, came back that night, and slammed a hell of a workout. Uh, so that's my advice. Uh, some of my points to be ready, to really lay it on the line. It could total commitment on a daily basis. If you're going to work out four days a week, you're a casual trainer. Go ahead. I know a lot of cosmonauts that run 5K, that ride their bike, that swim. They're true athletes at the highest level in all aspects, aspects of their life. And they still want to be super strong in the big three plus overhead. And that said, it's your dream. Follow your dream. Visualize it. Once you've seen it a hundred times at night before you, before you fall asleep, understand that the next day you've already seen it. Now you just do it. So when your training partner says, see it and do it, you approach the bar and you don't wait. You get a hold of that bar. You get into position. You go through that range of motion with authority, with conviction, as if you're the master of everything around you. Awesome. The tidbit that I think I share uh, is that whenever I walked into a competition field, I realized, as I saw that title, World's Strongest Man, the earth shook beneath my feet. I was the king of all I surveyed. I ruled the world of strength and fitness for nearly 30 years. My title, my trophy, my check. Take yours every day. Get the rewards and the benefits from the energy and the efforts that you put forth in training. It's worth it. Awesome. Some really good words of words of wisdom there. Um, thanks a lot, Bill, for for taking the time to jump jump on. Really, really enjoyed the seminar. Really enjoyed chatting you chatting with you today. Um, like I say, a lot of really good stories, knowledge, and and, and experience there. Um, so thanks a lot for taking the time to jump on. You're very welcome, and thank you for what you're doing by spreading the word and trying to get out to people who are interested in our physical culture, no matter what sport it is. Might even be darts. <laughs> I got, I got a four pack and, and a three pack. Uh, sorry, a six pack and a three pack of darts that I practice with, and I'm ready and willing to take anybody on anytime <laughs> for money. <laughs> awesome. I'm a, yeah. I'm not a, a. I'm not. I'm not the best darts player. Maybe pool though. Could maybe do maybe do pool. <laughs> okay. Well, if you want to play a game that maybe we can have a common ground with. Uh, I like to play tiddlywinks with manhole covers. <laughs> and when we play croquet, we use a 16-pound maul and bowling balls. <laughs> Love to have a chuckle with you. It's great. And I appreciate uh, you giving me the opportunity. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks a lot, Bill. Thanks a lot to everyone listening. And I'll see you all next week.